Futurized goes beneath the trends, tracking the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. Join me, futurist Thrun Arne Unheim, PhD author, investor, and serial entrepreneur, as I discuss the societal impact of deep tech, such as AI, blockchain, IoT, nanotech, quantum, robotics, and synthetic biology, and tackle topics such as entrepreneurship trends for the future of work. I'm a research scholar in global systemic risk, innovation, and policy at Stanford University. On Futurized, I interview smart people with a soul, founders, authors, executives, and other thought leaders, or even the occasional celebrity. Futurized is a bi-weekly show preparing you to think about how to deal with the next decade's disruption so you can succeed and thrive no matter what happens. Futurized, conversations that matter. If you're new to the show, seek particular topics or are looking for a great way to tell your friends about the show, we've got the episode categories. Those are at futurized.org slash episodes. I am the co-author of Augmented Lean, a human-centric framework for managing frontline operation and the author of Health Tech Rebooting Society's Software, Hardware and Mindset, Future Tech, How to Capture Value from Disruptive Industry Trends, Pandemic Aftermath, How Coronavirus Changes Global Society, the Disruption Games, How to Thrive on Serial failure and of leadership from below how the internet generation redefines the workplace for an overview you can go to trondenheim.com books at this stage futurize is lucky enough to have several sponsors and to check them out go to futurized.org sponsors if you're interested in sponsoring the podcast or to get an overview of other services provided by me, including how to book me for keynote speeches, please go to futurist.org slash store. We'll consider all brands that have demonstrably positive contributions to the future. Before you do anything else, make sure you are subscribed to our newsletter on futurist.org, where you can find hundreds of episodes of conversations that matter to the future. Please also leave a positive review on iTunes. Thanks so much. Let's be... Dazo, how are you? I'm good. Thank you, Tron. Yeah, great to have you on the podcast. I'm excited to speak about a really crucial issue for uh, manufacturing. So this uh, issue of titanium, is it something that you've been working on for a while, huh? Yeah. Uh, the last couple of years, we've been uh, working on trying to reassure a, a sustainable and a lower cost titanium supply chain here, mm-hmm. for sure, in, in the US. I think it's Thing is really important. Yeah. So Tasso, you were born in Greece and grew up in Western Australia, which I was uh, trying mm-hmm. to uh, dissect from your accent, but uh, you're uh, tra- a traveler, I guess. Uh, but then you had a career in banking before, uh, you know, going into industrials, I guess, with a, a bunch of different companies. Uh, then you moved to the US and uh, founded a lithium company. Um, so you've been involved with various minerals for, for a good good while. I was just curious, before we get into titanium uh, specifically, so, you know, this this idea of, you know, going from kind of being on the banking side to, to really fo- being focused on, on these minerals, uh, was that something that, you know, that you knew you were always going to do? Or is this something that you more discovered as a business opportunity? Yeah, it's a good question. So for me, I, I was only really in merchant banking for about a year, uh, straight out of university. I studied engineering and uh, commerce business here in the United States. We call it but commerce in Australia. Uh, and uh, I actually dropped out to uh, to work for the merchant bank. It was a boom time in the minerals industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and working there, I, I was working on startup venture capital style mining uh, or minerals extraction type place. 
Um, and so was very interested in how you develop a company from nothing and, and put the team around it uh, and, and build it into a company. Um, so I was very lucky to have mentors early on in my career which showed that. So moved straight into that very early on in my career. So at 23, I started my first company. It was in fossil fuels, in coal, uh, but it was, a, it was a big success. We took it from nothing to a $1.2 billion company. Um, and it really showed me not, not just about how to build a company, but how to interact with customers and build a team. So that after that, have never gone back to banking. So did have started off in banking, but I would consider myself more on the corporate company building side for almost all my life now. So let's jump into uh, into the topic. So titanium, it's uh, something most people clearly know from, you know, their jewelry or, or you know, you see it in industrial parts mm-hmm. and it has gotten quite a bit of fame recently for people who care about 3D printing because all these mm-hmm. parts, you know, tend to be uh, printed from uh, titanium. Um, but it's a complicated story about how to create it. And I wanted you to maybe uh, illuminate uh, us a little bit so let me just, you know, recite some, some basic facts. I mean, it's a, one of the rarest uh, metals or elements on the planet, right? Um, it can be found naturally, but it seems that's not the form that, you know, it, it's then used. So obviously there, there is a, a process and um, it doesn't always, you know, it doesn't exist everywhere and there's various forms of it and it exists in, in, in various deposits in only a few countries in the world. So only these few facts, right, dictates that there obviously is going to be a bit of a uh, fight for this uh, particular uh, material. But, but it's the process that, that you have identified as, as one of the really biggest improvements. Maybe you can start with, with this because in, in other metals, right? Um, they weren't always as easy to process either. Can you tell us, you know, in terms of sort of like manufacturing history, what is it, what does a manufacturing process really determine when it comes to what you can use a, you know, a a mineral for? Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty detailed, uh, (laughs) detailed question. Um, let me tackle, uh, some historical metals that we consider uh, commonplace today. Um, Steel and aluminum, for instance. Um, steel was uh, was used back in well, thousands of years ago. They were able to make steel, but it was very costly. Uh, and then we went through the Iron Age, where we started building our rail railways a few hundred years ago. Um, and then uh, then the Bessemer converter was was essentially invented. Um, and what is this Bessemer was, converter? So it was essentially the idea that passing through air through molten iron would allow for the contaminants um, and the carbon to oxidize uh, and you'll be left over with pure iron, uh, pure iron, melted iron, and then you could re-alloy it um, as you wanted with, again, with carbon or, or with other alloying elements. And that, that made the process for converting iron ore into steel cheaper. And prior to that, it was too expensive. We were using just iron that wasn't well, uh, that was not steel. Uh, steel is uh, carbon. Steel is iron and carbon put together, FENC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so once that was invented, it was rolled out uh, over the first 10, 20, 30 years. Very quickly, the uptake in the industry was, um, was huge. So 
uh, you went from having uh, iron mills to steel mills and, and it made a major change to the way we construct our railways and then the right way we construct So this is now, you know, back in the 1850s, I guess. So this is part of the story of the, uh, of, you know, of the industrial revolution, really. Um, Absolutely. Without it, it wouldn't have happened. Like the, the, the invention of steel was much stronger than iron and it made the progress of our railroads um, to to go, uh, it really, really unlocked that. And then it also unlocked uh, the construction sector significantly. So all of a sudden you had, and especially here in the US, you had a major industrial revolution and pushed forward with just a, a huge amount of new construction in the in the steel industry and really changed the world. And from there, we had multiple other uh, additional um, successful inventions that, that made that even better. Uh, but it was really that Bessemer converter at that point in time which really uh, changed the steel industry. And then from there, uh, we then had the whole Haru process in the manufacturing of aluminum, which is more akin to what sort of we're doing here, where prior to uh, aluminum being widely available, it was served, like Napoleon served it as uh, cutlery for, for his guests because it was so, so expensive, as expensive as gold. So the invention there was understanding that aluminum oxide could be put through an electrochemical process to create aluminum. Um, and all of a sudden, 50 years later, 100 years later, we're, we're rolling uh, uh, sandwiches in, in aluminum. So Tasso, we'll, we'll jump a little bit later to the potential future impact of, of changing mm -hmm. the production process for titanium, because sir, obviously we, we are perhaps mm -hmm. in another interesting period in our uh, civilization, right? Where, where, mm -hmm. where uh, you know, things are, are, might happen uh, through, through that kind of uh, production process. But let's, let's go to some of the challenges here that you are tackling more on the, on the mm -hmm. scientific level. So, um, the current process is the Kroll process, mm -hmm. right? Which mm -hmm. I understand to be a, uh, German, uh, invention from, or by DuPont Germany, uh, in, uh, about 1948 is when this process was kind of developed. And, uh, it is a costly, complicated, and I guess somewhat discontinuous type of process. It's not an ideal process, but it's obviously the one that we are using today in industry to, uh, smelt titanium. What, what, what is it that, um, that process, you know, what is the main problem with it from your point of view and what is it that you've, you've done to change this? So that, uh, that process is a very carbon intensive, very energy intensive process. Titanium metal, uh, titanium minerals to manufacture into metal, just like alumina, uh, the minerals for aluminum into uh, into aluminum metal was very tough to process. It's it's essentially it's uh, the titanium oxygen bonds are very strong. Um, so William Kroll uh, came up with a process um, during the 1940s. Uh, he moved to the United States. He was funded by the U.S. Bureau of Mines back then, and he built the first Kroll plant in Oregon. Uh, and even he himself said that the process would eventually be superseded because it was so complex uh, and expensive. But essentially what it did to address the problem of trying to break the titanium oxygen bonds and pr produce purified titanium metal, he essentially hit it with uh, three things, uh, a lot of carbon, a lot of energy, and a lot of chlorine. 
That and sounds to me like a bad recipe for our current yeah. age of a climate change, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, heating it with energy, you sort of, uh, you, you can then sort of break those bonds and then you heat it with carbon. So you create the oxygen goes off with the carbon to create carbon dioxide emissions, heavy emissions. And then uh, you heat it with uh, chlorine so that then the titanium bonds with the chlorine and creates titanium tetrachloride, titanium tickle, they call it in the industry. Uh, and then from there, you can take that tickle under, um, under high temperature uh, and vacuum and put it into a, a subsequent process, which is the actual coil process, which is uh, putting that tickle, that titanium tetrachloride, and, and um, hitting it with uh, molten magnesium metal. Now, that molten magnesium metal sounds as bad as, as it's as bad as what it sounds. Um, it hits the titanium tetrachloride and creates purified titanium metal and magnesium chloride. And then under a vacuum in this big um, vat, you essentially distill out the magnesium chloride uh, and you're left with this spongy appearance of titanium metal. That's called titanium metal sponge. That is the crawl process, creates titanium metal sponge. That sponge, you can't really use it. You then have to go through further energy intensive processes to make it into a purified metal. But that process there is carbon intensive, energy intensive, does not produce a ideal product from the get-go. As you said as well, it's a discontinuous process. It's a batch process. It takes many days, uh, if not weeks, to go from a mineral to a uh, finalized titanium metal ingot. So it's, it's not ideal, and especially in this environment where we're looking at sustainably uh, sustainable manufacturing, uh, it's, it's definitely not sustainable it's one of the most carbon intensive metals to manufacture today right so then adding to that then just to sort of set it up for your storyline here basically there's two versions of titanium in in nature that are found in slightly different geographical locations and and the one at least you know the the little research that i did about it so w one of them the uh ilmenite deposits mm -hmm. are are in you know you're uh, in australia china norway actually uh canada madagascar mm -hmm. india South Africa and Vietnam. That's, you know, sounds like a list of company of countries, but it's not a huge list. And then there are mm -hmm. these rutile uh, deposits that are actually only found in Sierra Leone, US, India, and South Africa. Now, that is a setup for a quite complicated situation if you <laughs> take into account that this is used in almost every electronic uh, product and in, in many, many different applications today. Um, mm -hmm. All right, so here's my question. Uh, what happened? How did you come upon an alternative to, uh, to the uh, crawl process? And, and, and what is it that you're in, engaged in really with your, with your uh, efforts here? So uh, after I had uh, built Piedmont Lithium, which is a, essentially reassuring the lithium hydroxide supply chain for batteries here in the United States, uh, I focused my attention on, on titanium because of those issues, because both the titanium minerals were not extensively produced in the United States anymore. And uh, titanium metal, when I started this company, titanium metal manufacturing, the crawl process was about to be uh, shut down. The last crawl plant was going to be shut down in the US. And, and the balance of power for the processing side of the business was going to be in China and Russia. Today, over 70% of that crawl processing capacity is in China and Russia. So my view was, uh, and, and knowing being in the minerals industry, I knew that there was untapped deposits of both ilmenite and rutile here in the United States, 
And what you just uh, mentioned there was more the existing produ productive deposits, um, right. the undeveloped uh, deposits um, in titanium. There is quite a few here in the United States. There's just the way the United just the way the U.S. formed geologically. Uh, it lended itself to having potential, significant potential, undeveloped or underexplored potential for these titanium minerals. So for me, it was, we can reshore titanium minerals, but to then get to titanium metal, I did not want to bring back the coral process to the United States. Not only is it carbon intensive and unsustainable, it's economically unsustainable when looking at how to, uh, when, when you're looking at competition with China and Russia. So I was lucky at the start of 2020 to connect with Dr. Fong, who had developed a breakthrough process that uh, essentially revolutionizes the titanium supply chain. It's essentially the Bessemer moment for the titanium supply chain, allowing it to become uh, a cheaper and more sustainable processes. And, and, and kindly explain, I mean, I, I know this is obviously covered by patents and this and that, but this uh, process is called the hammer process, the hydrogen assisted metallothermic reduction process. What in, in, you know, in a nutshell, what, what is that about and how is it different and, and easier to perform than the crawl process? Yeah, absolutely. So if you remember, the titanium oxygen bonds are really strong. And that's why the crawl process hits it with a lot of energy, a lot of carbon, a lot of chlorine to, to get it to a point where you can then uh, react it or reduce it with molten magnesium metal. So what Dr. Fong had seen, uh, and he was funded by the Department of Energy's Advanced Research Programs Agency to develop this technology and this process to find a lower cost solution for titanium. What he realized or, or the scientific breakthrough he had was that if you introduce hydrogen into, the, into that titanium oxygen solid solution, as they call it, into that chemistry, you slightly or you destabilize that titanium oxygen bond. And all of a sudden, you don't have to add carbon, chlorine, and a lot of energy. You can use almost half the energy that those titanium oxygen bonds are destabilized. And then at that point, what you can do is you can extract those those oxygen um, atoms by introducing a reductant, a metallothermic reductant. In this case, the cheapest one is not molten magnesium, but just powdered magnesium. Mm -hmm. And that, in the reaction, the oxygen will form magnesium oxide, and you'll be left over with not a titanium in a spongy appearance, but titanium powders. Discrete, I like to call it discrete titanium ingots. It's purified titanium metal in a powder form. And that is a huge revolution. Not only do you not use any carbon, you use far less energy, there's far less steps, and it's far less complex, so far cheaper. And from the get-go, you manufacture a titanium powder product. That titanium powder product can go into multiple applications, both traditional, like making plates and making wire and making billets, as they call it, or bars. Or you could go into advanced manufacturing or more sustainable manufacturing methods like 3D printing. Yes, because that's the point, right? Uh, titanium has, you know, isn't just 
a commonly used uh, metal, but it has become very commonly used in additive manufacturing, uh, particularly. So uh, the reasons why you could explain this pretty in detail is that because you do have it covered by patent, uh, because n- n- I'm just kind of curious what's going to happen in the implementation of this process. Do you, you know, is the intention here that every, that you're going to license this process or how, how does it, how does this traditionally work? Like the cruel process, is that a process that's owned by, uh, by the DuPont Corporation or the inventors? How, how does it work? Like, I'm just cry, uh, kind of curious, will this change potentially the business model of, of, of this process? So going back to the crawl process, that was under patents many years ago, you know, yep. back in the 19, late 1940s. So that's not under patents anymore. Uh, DuPont has separate patents to in manufacturing the Tickle 4 and crawl had the patents around the reduction of Tickle 4 with magnesium, med- multi magnesium. For us, we are fully patented on this process, but we've got multiple patents also around the way we do the process and also around us making spherical powders and we continue to expand our patent portfolio in our company as we speak. For, for me, I think titanium metal has got a huge potential future. Um, by bringing its cost down, we can actually disrupt more of the aluminum and stainless steel supply chain. And to do that, I think we need to have integrated operations in the future. So we need to control the supply chain uh, and we need to help build that market by uh, partnering with the right uh, OEMs or customers to to roll out more titanium products in addition to disrupting the existing titanium supply chain and making it cheaper and cleaner. Uh, But in the future, once we are scaled up, there is opportunity that we look at licensing. It's not something that we're looking at today. I wouldn't say it, it would never be done. I'm saying it's it's uh, it's something that potentially is is uh, something we would consider uh, in the future. Um, yeah, I was just curious only because uh, you know, first of all, right, supply chains is not something that everybody walks around thinking about. But when it comes to to key materials for you know for national security or for you know for industrial production, it it, it obviously is something that policymakers and and planners ha- have had to worry about for for a, a good while right and um so you are you are making this argument that this is strategically important for for example in, in this case in the united states to domesticate and produce a lot more of their critical metals uh you know in-house so to speak you know on 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 domestic soil how long will this take so you, you know, we were talking about steel here and, uh, you know, yes, there was a moment, but a moment's never a moment, right? So it, it takes a while to change. Uh, well, it takes a while to build a company. It takes a while to, to change anything, uh, you know, in the world. What, what is the timeline here? And uh, what is it, if we kind of move a little bit to kind of the application space, what are we likely to see that's going to be different if you succeed at not only bringing the process, uh, you know, into a more uh, sustainable process, but also perhaps a cheaper process and po- perhaps less discontinuous. Like you know, you're fixing all of these shortcomings, perhaps of or some of the shortcomings of the crawl process. What will happen then, and by you know, in, in kind of what timeline? Yeah. So today we make uh, titanium metal powders um, at pilot scale. So we make, and by pilot scale, it's quite a large pilot scale. So it's it's shown that the, the scale can be 
uh, increased. Today we take a 60 kilogram batch and we do it over three days, but really we're going to be bringing that down substantially with our next scale up. So we are uh, embarking on a, a new, what we're calling a titanium demonstration facility, uh, which we will be building, which we've already started ordering equipment, we're finalizing engineering designs, and we hope to have that up and running mid next year. Uh, and at that point, we will substantially scale the process from where we are today, but it still won't be the ultimate scale. It would help us to uh, identify any further challenges of scale up and fix those challenges or address those challenges. And then also look at uh, further um, incorporating automation and data collection in our in our processes as we as we scale. And from there, that process that plant will be modular, so to speak. So we can then quickly scale after that. Uh, but it does take time. It will take time before you know we really disrupt such a huge industry, which is the steel or stainless steel industry and aluminum. But I think there's going to be some high profile disruptions first that. That we can target. So maybe we um, can talk us some about some of those because stainless steel, as you informed me earlier, is a two hundred fifty billion dollar global market. It's a it's a massive market. It's one of the biggest markets there is, and for obvious reason, right? I mean, it it is what builds <laughs> any kind of foundational structure that's being put up today is is built in steel. Uh, aluminum is, you know, is obviously another big market and, and it does have a place in electrical components. So it's, you know, similar actually in scope, although, you know, the applications are somewhat different. Titanium, however, is only a four to five billion dollar market right now. Mm -hmm. What kind of growth are we likely to see uh, in that market in the sort of the short term, you know, like the next three to five and next decade? The next decade, I think we can have massive disruption across aluminum and stainless steel. Stainless steel is a subset of the steel sector. Stainless steel is used in a lot of machinery and equipment applications in, in your kitchens and things like that. It is not just strong as, as steel, it's uh, it's corrosion resistant. Um, so that's, that is why people use stainless steel. Now, titanium is stronger and is more corrosion resistant. So there's a direct like-for-like -like comparison there. Stainless steel is also used extensively in consumer products or consumer luxury goods products, uh, and then consumer electronics products as well. Um, you'll see, you know, some new smartwatches, smartphones in stainless steel, for instance. We see there being a much larger, a much better future to use uh, titanium metal in, in place of that steel. Now you do see it in some applications, in some luxury goods applications. You do see it existing. In uh, in smartwatch and smartphone market, but it's only in the most premium applications because it is so much more expensive. Now, if we substituted our titanium out for that, if we substituted that stainless steel out for our titanium, not only would you have a superior product, you also have something which is far more sustainable. And today, we're it's a one hundred percent recyclable product as well. So, there's some high profile applications like that. Then, if you look at the electric vehicle industry or, or the vehicle industry in general. Light weighting goes towards fuel efficiency or battery efficiency, which is, which is the, the big thing to making electric vehicles, uh, the uptake of electric vehicles more to reducing the carbon emissions from existing uh, combustion vehicles or, or trucks or whatever. Now, there's a lot of steel use and there's stainless steel use. There's a lot of aluminum use as well. If we could substitute out those metals for our titanium metal, again, it's the, the actual metal itself is much more sustainable, but we also lightweight the vehicle, allowing it, allowing for increased range, allowing for 
you know, better fuel efficiency. Tasso, so this might be question in this context, but if I have a titanium ring and I have a gold ring, I would assume the price of titanium is ostensibly going down because of your efforts. So my investments yes. should rather be in gold rings at the moment because you're not planning uh, on, yeah. on changing the process. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's that, that's a difficult supply chain question again. But yeah, essentially, yeah, I wouldn't buy titanium metal powders today and hold it as an investment because that's essentially what we're trying to bring. That's what we will be bringing. Across. Yeah, I just wanted to bring it down to, you know, to like every day here and now in front yeah. of uh, somebody at you the table. So bringing the cost down that, that is essentially yeah. what you're saying. And it will affect all applications, even these luxury applications. Yeah. And I think those luxury applications, those applications that people hold uh, every day, um, you know, we, we've, aluminum is synonymous with our laptops, with our consumer electronics the casings in everything why is that so i mean why couldn't it be uh titanium in the future you look at uh steel and even carbon fiber on the interiors of of vehicles why couldn't it be uh titanium in the future Ve just in general our suspension systems our brake pads these sort of things in automobiles and then you get to luxury applications there's a lot of stainless steel use in luxury watches i mean should be titanium it's better it's lighter and uh, it's more corrosion resistant. It's going to last forever. Um, so it should be, it should be titanium. It's just that it hasn't been cheap enough yet. And that's what we intend to do. Yeah. And if enough. you take something that in the US right now is a massive issue, right? Aging infrastructure, you look at these uh, stainless steel bridges and everything uh, that aren't, turns out, you know, or maybe they weren't even stainless steel. They're certainly rusting. They, they yeah. weren't steel, plain steel, and they are rusting, right? So, uh, but it's almost, unfathomable to think about you know titanium in that kind of application when you also are thinking about it right now as a ring on your finger it's it's just it's, it's really just hard to to compare the two <laughs> you got to start somewhere right i think you start because how as we start we bring the cost down but as we scale we continue to bring the cost down so the first markets we want and the first markets we are targeting will be soon have some uh, partners with us is, is those high value, high value uh, applications or those high marketability applications, you know, where people can see it, where people can understand it, uh, because we can't tackle a bridge yet um, until we get even further down the cost curve. In the future, potentially, absolutely. Um, definitely can tackle some uh, higher end, like I live uh, on the beach and there's a lot of salt that comes in and, and my aluminum um, uh, outdoor uh staircases and stuff like that they're, they're corroding already and it's only four years old five years old so there's there's the construction and those more high volume but lower priced applications we tackle in the future in 10 years time mm. but today what we tackle which is still a big issue is some of those high value applications with more complex components within an within an electric vehicle potentially the battery pack the suspension system uh the uh the consumer electronics part of the business which it's only a small thing, but there's, you know, what, hundreds of millions, if not billions of them being sold every year. So their impact is huge on our environment and the impact for us from a uh, financial standpoint is huge. Hmm. But if you built a bridge out of titanium, you wouldn't need be needing to replace it, not even in 100 years. Yeah. Can we uh, uh, briefly go back to the geopolitical questions? So, you know, you, you did emphasize that, you know, it's important for a country 
to produce its, you know, the base material that you're building your infrastructure on. Um, mm-hmm. and, and even more importantly, perhaps these uh, more advanced manufacturing applications that are really, you know, sensitive. Um, what generally with, with titanium and other minerals, what is happening there? Uh, and, and, you know, what is the scope for change? You know, in other words, what sort of levers do the various countries and companies have to sort of change that around? What's going to happen with, um, you know, the dependency that certain countries are going to have, because, you know, you are building out your industry in the United States. What is that going to mean for other countries, for example? And uh, how do you see the role of geopolitics in, you know, in the titanium uh, issue? Yeah, so with titanium in particular, it's really now centered around China and Russia, and it's a national security concern for for the United States because our military military uses titanium extensively. What steel is to the construction industry today, titanium is to our defense industry. It's lightweight, it's strong, it's corrosion resistant, so it's used extensively. There needs to be a reshoring of that in in the United States, and so. That's, that's what we're hoping uh, to achieve. But in a lot of these critical materials, you know, somebody asked me only a, a, few, a week ago, a few weeks ago, you know, why is China so ahead? Was it, a, was it planned? And the simple fact is that China started from a blank sheet. I grew up with China not being anywhere close to what it is today. You know, it started from nothing. If you look at pictures of Shanghai 20 years ago, there was nothing there. Uh, and so they started from a blank sheet and they built their cities from a blank sheet. And so their iron ore production, their aluminum production had to, had to build up to build cities, to build bridges, to build roads. Uh, and then with that, starting from a blank sheet, they started having a lot of uh, emissions issues, not because of carbon emissions, just smog from pretty bad cars built in China, uh, you know, un- non-fuel efficient fuel inefficient vehicles and so they dictated many years ago well before we knew about electric vehicles that electric vehicles was the way to go because it's zero emission not because they cared about co2 emissions but because they cared about controlling smog within their cities they needed zero emissions on on the ground and so they built up the industry for battery materials well ahead of us because the fact is that they needed it themselves and now they dominate it because they built these new cities and these cities are huge and it was a huge urbanization project for, for China, as everybody knows, over the last 20 years. They dominated in iron ore, they dominated in aluminum, but now they dominate in these new advanced critical materials, which is important for our future, both here in the United States and, and in Europe. And so, you know, we're doing our part and we're ensuring the titanium metal supply chain. I think there's others that have realized this. The government um, has been allocating funds and been trying to incentivize groups to to get here uh, but it's only been the last few years where you've seen prices of these minerals and of these chemicals be high enough to incentivize production here in the united states i i feel that although it's going to be a rough few years in reshoring and in supply disruptions and you know it's not going to be easy i think with the way prices are today i think you're going to see innovative companies reshore these supply chains uh, in in the US, especially where there is a will to do it. Well, it's an astonishingly changing world, isn't it? Because only 15, 20 years ago, you would 
have to be either crazy or Steve Jobs to, uh, you know, to utter things like that. I mean, he actually was among those who said, you know, the jobs will never come back, but, uh, you know, you'd have to be a true, uh, believer, uh, you or entrepreneur or, or a very, very, uh, concerned security person to talk about reshoring in, in the way that, you know, mainstream, uh, is, is now mainstreaming. It's, a uh, do you think that this uh, reshoring um, phenomenon is going to affect what we think of as globalization? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, it's both, there's both some positives and negatives there, right? Globalization has led to reduced costs in a lot of supply chains, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's led to weaknesses as we see in supply chains as well. So there's got to be a good, uh, mix um, so you know it's it's a question for somebody far smarter than me but I think I think it's important that that we promote um, the benefits of, of uh, free trade and free markets I think uh, globally but we 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 make sure that we identify areas where that free market that globalization can lead to the issues we have today because we're all not one country in the in the in the world, and we need to make sure that uh, that we we still maintain our own uh, qualified or, or secure supply chains. You know, we we lost a lot out in that free trade. We gained a lot, though. I mean, you can see how far the the economies of all nations have come. You know, and pulling China out of poverty, what what happened there is a good thing. Um, and now we just got to make sure that. Um, we have the supply chains we need for our industries secure um, and uh, and be careful about, you know, how we approach free trade. We don't want to stimulate, I think, but we also, you know, can't allow what's, what's happened in the past to continue. Got it. Also, I thank you. This is, uh, these are complicated issues, uh, but they will change, uh, you know, the world as we know it. And I'm excited to see what kinds of applications will be made out of titanium in the decade ahead. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks very much, John. You have just listened to another episode of the Futurized podcast with me, Trunarne Unheim, futurist, scholar, and author. If you are interested in my products or services, feel free to check out futurized.org slash store, where you can book a keynote speech, become a sponsor or partner, request a podcast swap, or buy a few of my books, such as Augmented Lean, Health Tech, Future Tech, Pandemic Aftermath, Disruption Games, or Leadership From Below. If you're interested in any or all of my projects, check out my website, trondundheim.com, which has links to other podcasts as well as my public appearances. Thank you. Please share this show with those you care about. To find us on social media, it's easy. We are Futurized on LinkedIn and YouTube and Futurized 2 on Instagram and Twitter. See you next time. Futurized, conversations that matter.